Each episode of Brain Health Unchaining Your Pain with Dr. Ruth Allen is for educational and demonstration purposes only. The information shared in each episode should not be interpreted as medical advice. This episode should not be used to self-diagnose or self-treat any health, medical or physical condition. Do not use this episode to avoid going to your healthcare professional or to replace the advice they give you. Consult with a trusted healthcare professional before doing anything contained in this episode. If you have any questions or concerns, please contact www.ruthmaryallen.com forward slash connect. Welcome to the show, Brain Health Unchaining Your Pain. I am delighted to be joined by the wonderful Simon Headley on the show today. Welcome to the show, Simon. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Oh, no, you're most welcome. And I know we only recently connected via LinkedIn and you interviewed me. Um, yeah. And it was, I think we really connected um, on so many different levels. So for those that don't know Simon, he is uh, known as the strategic alchemist. For over two decades, Simon has been primarily working by referral and often privately behind the scenes as the secret weapon for good people doing great things. He leverages his strong background in audit structuring and investment banking. He's got a unique mind that is able to connect the dots for people and project and identify identify the missing that makes the difference. And he's also master of Tai Chi and many other disciplines that are focused on getting the best out of people and optimizing their outcomes. So um, I'm really excited to um, have this conversation because I think we're going to go into <laughs> different yeah, I'm, directions. I'm panda, definitely, yes. <laughs> so before we start, I'd love to know what you are passionate about in life right now. Fundamentally, it's people. Um, I'm 45 now, sort of in my youth, I thought wouldn't get to here. And now I'm here. It's like, have I got a year left or a hundred years left? No one's quite sure, right? Or a thousand years left. And my driver has really been making the difference, not just making a difference, but like denting it, shifting it, actually what's possible. Um, this whole conversation about, you know, optimal brain health, it isn't just like make it a bit better. It's like really shift into what's possible and being in that space. Um, so for me, fundamentally, this connecting aspect I think 20, 30 years ago, we couldn't do this. We're on Zoom today. We're on StreamYard. We're interconnecting as if it's a full-on broadcast TV studio and we're here talking around the world. You've had a million downloads, Ruth. It's extraordinary. And yet there's all these things that haven't been done. And so what I'm passionate about isn't, they say, doing the super complicated things. It's the simple ideas that actually make a difference that you can get implemented. Um, and that's one-to-one. It's on group, top, down, and bottom up. And really... Um, you know the phrase being juiced? I want to get yeah. me juiced. So when I leave, wherever I go next, I don't want anything left in me. And I'm sort of present to having hundreds of books, sort of half-written courses, workshops, all this creativity to share. And that's not just me. There's so many people like yourself out there that want to help others. And there's this gap. So that's sort of, you get a sense of my passion coming out there. There's a, a real, how do we make the difference to what it means to be a human? And not in some wishy-washy way, but a grounded way. And that includes the mental health, the physical health, the economics, the actual environments. Um, it's sort of weird for me that we have world wars happening today. Like not sort of World War Three, 
but we are closer to that than we should be, given who we know ourselves as species to be. That's a bit mm. too political, maybe, but does that give you a sense of quite a broad reaching thing? And um, to say it simply, optimization has been my, my focus for over 20 years. And I really was there like... ever a... Sorry, I'll just cut over you there. Was there ever a time where you didn't feel optimized? All the time. That, that's usually where it comes down from. I think um, my, my growing up self was very happy playing and not playing with exploring nature. So butterflies, newts, frogs, that world of insects and very simple British life that we had. I'm born 1978. So back then we didn't have all this Internet stuff. So it was really exciting to be in that space. And, um, you know, when you don't know what you don't know, I didn't realize about communication. Actually, I messaged it down LinkedIn. You know, 25 years ago, you couldn't have paid me to do this. And yet I'm like, I'd love to come on the show. Still nervous, still panicky, still all that lovely stuff with emotions. But I know that I love to talk and share. And 25 years ago, I was the opposite. Yeah, I got asked and- America, hey, why don't you go speak on this event stage? You know, really big, important. with People you know, Brian Tracy, Les Browns. Simon, you go talk. I was like, no, no, no. I, I'm behind the scenes here, guys. <laughs> 12 years later, shared the stage a bit. But I, I'm one of those people that likes being a bit more hidden. And that's, if you think about it, where does that come from? Our limiting beliefs and our fear patterns. Um, yeah. Physically, I'm not six foot five. I have the lovely hair, as you can see. That's gone. So I think... Um, there's lots of ways where I'm not optimized and we're not optimized. So, yes, I think that's does that sort of humbly say it? Or yeah, no, I think was, it does. If I was scoring myself, I'm in like the one percent level, not the ninety nine percent level. You know, I'm well, of- I think I think when people talk about peak performance, it's often there's always a trough, isn't there? After a peak, there tends to be a trough. Can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you get to your to get get to that level, you have to work really hard, but then it's easy to let take your foot off the gas and then especially in western yeah a lot of so that's one of the things i've been around is the eastern mindset so tai chi was 20 years minimum to be a master teacher i'm very much like 25 years in one got medals in it but i realized 20 years in stuff you didn't get to even know about for the first five and it wasn't you hadn't taught it you hadn't been in that practice the 45 for a body is different than the 15 year old body i think the real question is what are you optimizing for right one of those maths 101 like you have to be clear what's the game we're playing and i think that's been the hardest that like if you and i went back in time 20 years we'd have done different things really quite easily but we didn't know where we're going to end up and i think that's been the hardest thing especially with relationships and relationship capital you know you and i have just met and we're trying to build a connection it's really hard to do that in a way everybody's traveling and being busy and they're doing this and you all love each other but 5,000 Facebook friends, nobody's really operating in the same way. So that actual aspect of tribe and family, I think, is one of the hardest bits. Um, yeah. Am I answering the question? I sort of, it's sort of my little buzz subjects here. Optimization is a, is a fun one. <laughs> and I, I, I'd love to dive into the tribe and the connection piece a little oh. bit later on. Um, but if you could describe it, it sort of briefly, if you're able to, what would you say optimal brain health is for you personally? Well, we sort of said at the start, like, you know, have I got the right answer? No, but the fact I can do this with you, that I can respond and not be, oh my God, panic, freeze, ah, crash. You know, <laughs> we're not robots. And this is part of this aspect of the Taoism of Tai Chi, of being in flow. When I first went on a banking trading floor, it was generally anxiety inducing, that intensity of energy and noise and stress. A couple of years in, I could do it, it became normal. But let's say tomorrow morning said, hey, Ruth, I'm going to present the Oscars. 
most of us would go panic. They wouldn't just be that's easy. So I think optimal brain health understands that we're going to have unknown things happen and be able to groundedly hear it and respond, not mm. be in that fight and flight response. Yeah. Um, there's a whole lot of work by a guy called John David Garcia on creativity. And one of the things I love about his work was the idea that at best your information is incomplete and at worst inaccurate. So the optimal brain health isn't just you have a brain plasticity, but you had ability to learn, to engage, to respond, this consciousness, but without buying into our own Kool-Aid, without sort of, you know, I've I've solved the solution, Ruth. I understand everything now. It's like, no, no, no. And that, that there's a fine line between creativity and delusion, between you know, getting hung up on these small details that can really matter, but also not being. And I yeah. think it's a really interesting question, especially to be to be blunt or to be real. Um, we live in a world where there is still Alzheimer's, dementia. There's a whole sort of deterioration. And watching people who are so sharp lose that functionality, I think is really tricky. Um, we also yeah. live in a world that is more and more 24-7 connected. Um, I don't recommend this. I did four days without sleep in my 20s and mm. I was still functional. I did it a few other times with work over the years because I had to. I think you know about sort of military environments, other bit in front. Sometimes you have to go outside normal boundaries. Um, mm. So there's a fallacy, I think, of this balanced lifestyle. You do this. No, the actual natural human, when it needs to activate and go full on, does that and to switch off does the same. One of my challenges, I think, letting go of the past, even though I know about me queeing and clearing the past and being the moment, it's easy to start thinking about stuff from the past. So I think the challenge for us is to be fully present, not be delusional, either in um, it's a lovely Satguru video about in no fear in the now, you know, in our thoughts of the future that aren't real or our past half memories of the past. So the optimal brain health is able to respond, able to learn and grow, has that safety feeling. It's one of the things that I've been passionate about. And I realize more and more, most people I've met don't feel safe. And the wow. underlying uncertainty feeling creates a tension. And if you're in tension, your brain doesn't work the same. Um, our eyes, which is linked to the brain, when you are naturally relaxed, the eyes tend to look more open. When you get into fear, either predator or prey state, you get more pl uh, plane focused. It's one of the bad things, by the way, with these interactive Zoom messages, video calls, we're looking at a flat screen. When yeah. you use holographics, you're actually looking in 3D. Yes. Your brain and some people can really struggle with 2D anyway by virtue of how their brain works. Yeah. So we're also in a conversation where most people's brains aren't actually very utilized. They yeah. haven't had great teachers and they've been forced into an entrainment of Western education or whatever it is. So there's a sort of space of can you unlearn what isn't useful? Can you relearn and move forward? And then we're into the real question in a world of i don't know a billion data points a second coming at you how do you prioritize and discern that without just going i give up you know i'm talking to you i'm not reading everything at the bottom moving along if i do that i can't do there and there's a whole conversation about you know focus can we have multiple focuses going on personally i think you can have a different awareness you know i can be present to my chair my breathing the coat uh, what you're looking at, the sunshine, the background, we have that capacity, but that RAS, that sort of ability to focus the mind and either be clear, right, I'm focusing or I'm open and have that choice. But I think it's a really interesting question. It's one we're going to have more and more challenges to be with, especially for those looking at the sort of the generation, the children. So my friend's yeah. kids, one of them loves playing computer games. 
Now, is that a good or bad thing? That is encouraging him, all those lovely chemicals being activated. The game designers are very clever at bonus rewarding like emotion. And it's, it isn't sort of, oh, it just happens. No, mass psychology investments have made these things more addictive. And as we all know, the sort of inner chemicals of our body. The most amazing people I've met have an ability to choose their state and self-generate their emotions, not in a robot-y way. It's not, right, I'm going to be unemotional forever. No, <laughs> being untriggerable, I don't think is the game. But being able to know when you need to turn on those focuses or when to actually go, right, I need to process that. Um, does that we covered quite a lot. It's a really interesting subject because I think it really? depends on where somebody's at as well. Linked to this idea of a triage state, right? You know the word triage in a medical environment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if somebody is like, I have no food, no water, no shelter in a war zone, they have a different brain requirement than somebody living in a fancy flat in New York worth $5 million or $5 billion going, what should I have for lunch today? It's a different yeah. requirement. And we, while we are one human species, one humanity, most of us can't think that big, not groundedly. Yeah. You know, to even be in like the town we're living in, we don't know everybody that lives here, their challenges, their problems, how to make a difference to it. So I think there's that sort of, not just the brain health, but what do we do with a healthy brain? And I do think we're going to find that the, I, I, I hate the stat, by the way, the brain is unutilized. Most of us don't actually know how the body works with biochemical signals, with the heart, the brain. I know I know enough to know I don't know enough. And despite having qualifications in various bits of biomedicine, the more you get into it, the more you realize nobody's really sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you realize that you're on a lower rung than you thought you were. <laughs> yeah. And so this idea of even as simple as us talking, um, I spent 20 years studying communication, um, ironically, because I was more of a natural listener and a nonverbal communicator. But there's a whole spectrum, as you know, between ah, that little eye movement means this, or no, they were just having an eye movement. So there's a yeah. whole line of, well, how much is our measuring correct? How much is our communication accurate? And then what games we're playing. Most of us don't know people that are a thousand years old. I'm not saying I do, to be clear, right? But most of us would go, that's not possible. Nobody lives that way. Most of us don't know what actually is possible for humans, and therefore we don't know to gauge that. I know, sadly, if I look around London and most of sort of the media, I've been saddened over the last 10 years watching the amount of aggression, road rage, insanity on social media, um, while at the same time, I know I've, I, as a, can you hear the police car going in the background just then? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I know myself, I don't think I came in as a Dalai Lama angel person going, I am handled. You know, we all have tantrums as teenagers. We all have good days and bad days. We stub our toe, but weird things happen. Um, I came back to the car two weeks ago. The car was scratched. Is it the end of the world? No. Does it impact us? Yes. So yeah. I think the optimal brain health is able to sort of have enough awareness to self-navigate. Oh, I, also... I love that the way you said, having enough self-awareness to navigate, because it's so important, isn't it, that... I don't think we think about self-awareness enough no. in the context of how we communicate with other people. I kind of think it's like the cornerstone to emotional intelligence yeah. is your own self-awareness. And having a space to actually think things through without being instantly judged. Yes. And yeah. the classic scotoma, the blind spot, 
There are things that others see about us that we can't see. And that's why the best buddy relationships, mental relationship, whatever you want to call it, it it's great. The challenge is having that, again, the, the safety to have those conversations. But 100%, and then the, the real bit with that self-awareness, and I've been, you know, you've got me talking, I'd say, Southern English voice today, right, Ruth? <laughs> my granddad came from Newcastle-upon-Tyne. My grandmother came from Ber Chesterfield, Derbyshire. So I have that sort of those roots. But over 40 years, Southern English came out. You know, yeah. hello, how do you do? I'm in Tampa Twelves here, right? Well, I'm from Essex originally, uh, and I ended up having two two years of uh, vocal coaching to try and knock the Essex accent out of me. And unfortunately, I don't think it quite worked. It still keeps coming back. <laughs> but that's the, that's the joy, right? So the reason I, I brought that up goes back to this question of who are we? And you know, the more you get into Western or around the world eventually there's this bit of an ego death right it's like you are not your job like i am a chartered accountant an fca icw but that isn't who i am yeah. but for a lot of my life it was what do you do i do this i do this i made a, you know the moniker came because i was like what does simon do no one is quite sure but he's really helpful you know it's <laughs> like how do you try what you do um and if you just say i help people oh so you're a life coach no yes maybe you're a web designer it's like what are you <laughs> so this identity piece is part of, I think, the interesting thing of brain health, where I think we're going to see more problems over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, where people have bought into, they are their social media likes, they are their perceived listing other people. Um, mm. And it's a really interesting piece of the game where historically, you, you just lived. You know, there was your community, your tribe, and you got on with stuff. Well, Nowadays, I think historically also your identity was wrapped up in you, not an external perception of you, if that makes sense, through um because your because your environment was so localized, yeah. You didn't have, you know, a million people judging you. No, like it was small tribes, a few hundred people. This got bigger, but they go, Oh, that's Ruth, he's so and so's daughter and son, and this, that, the other. Um there was still an aspect, this is a, an ontology piece, this sort of art of being stuff, where you live, one of the ways you show up is what others say about you and you're not around. And again, yeah. in that small community, there was, that's who that is, right? The old joke about, you know, Stephen the sheep shagger, that's Stephen at the time. But, you know, the, you know that bad joke, the Welsh one? No. <laughs> well, what's that? It's, it's a funny joke, but you can see where it's going. It's like, and you just do one sheep and oh, it's, you know... <laughs> he saved the kids no 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 um but one of the fascinating things 20 years ago you could have very compartmentalized so i go to tai chi and be a tai chi teacher in the tai chi space salsa dancing photography banking accounting different worlds now we're this very crossed over space where there's almost everybody has a different version of who you are yeah okay you know the listener to the show they're going to make different things up based on their past their filters what they're up to what they love and what they don't love um, I ran an event last year, one of the first, obviously with lockdown, and it was fascinating watching the difference. Some people were like, this is, there's nothing, it's horrible, what's time? Others, it was the best thing ever. But the irony with that is you can't always see until you go past it. It's a bit like you with what you're doing. Somebody that goes, they've got a podcast, that's nice. And others mm -hmm. might go, wow, you've reached this many people, impacted this many people, and potentially five years from now, a billion people plus have been impacted by what you've done, Ruth, right? directly mm. and indirectly now you're nodding along so you get that that level of thinking most would go what are you talking about what do you mean impacting a billion people that doesn't make any sense because mm. their their paradigms aren't that so yeah, i do I think, think we're gonna so good 
I was just going to say, I mean, for me, my sort of initial goal was to impact 10 million people. Yeah. And it didn't, it was not, it wasn't important to me how I got there. I just wanted to get there. And so, you know, I started this podcast because lockdown happened and I thought, how am I going to connect with people and have great conversations and step out my com- outside my comfort zone? You know, you mentioned, yeah. oh, my God, it's really scary. I thought I was going to be utterly useless as a podcasting <laughs> host. And some people may think I am utterly useless. And that's okay. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> but, but um, you know, I, I did it because I thought, well, I'm just going to push myself and see if I yeah. can do a good job um, and just be me on it. I'm just, if it works, it works. If it if it doesn't, it doesn't, and I'm not going to lose too much sleep over it. But that was a way, you know, once I started seeing the show take off and I realised, actually, I can do this. It's not as hard as you, you know, the the mountain is now back to being a molehill. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's much easier to move forward and overcome those fears. So you're not in the a rabbit in the headlights, as we often may feel we are um, before we get out on stage. Yeah. And it, it gives me a, a sort of, my, my, I call them like opening to actions, a bit of a conversation I think that might be interesting to sort of jump in with. So one of the things I've been being with the last few years is between you can make a huge impact to one person that may be known about or not known about. Uh, one of my Thai tea teachers, Catherine Allen, she passed away of a lockdown. Sadly, with cancer, it went very quick from she was healthy seemingly to not around really quickly. Uh, I'm one of the few people that knew her the way I knew her for like 25 years. I know what she did to me. I can't teach what she taught. And literally five years from now, 10 years from now, she'll be gone in terms of the world now. Does that matter? Yes, no, maybe. In terms of the wider world, this question of making a difference, being impacting, you know, we're in a space where the successful YouTubers with a billion views, is it really helping or just selling more burgers and more chocolate? And there is this balance of money and impact. And clearly, we're in a sort of crunch time as well, right? Um, I know you work around the mental health areas. Yeah. Whether they are employees that are getting more and more stressed and depressed, whether Mm. it's the family groupings that are being broken up and more depressed, there's this sort of depression stress factor that's getting worse while the economics get more and more broken. And it's fascinating for me, while also frustrating. Um, I don't have it all handled. I can pay for water and food today. I've got things okay. I've made money, lost money. I'm investing in projects. But then you look at an Elon Musk, say, and by all success measures, successful. You know, X hundred billion dollars. Mm-hmm. But is that success? And then this is question. That's, I think, where this optimal health condition is really important. Now, if you go, right, I need to go beat Elon in the money game, I've got six months to do it or I'm a failure. Is that a health, a health, a healthy tension? Yes or no? no? I don't know. Um, and equally, even if it is a goal, should not shoulding, but shoulding, like, is that what we should be focusing on? While simultaneously, we're here in the UK, the trains are having strikes, the health service are having strikes, and you're like, it used to work. Like, it used to be better. We've got smart people and better computers, and we still can't do basic stuff. Yeah. So one of my favorite experiences was with Baroness Deborah Stedman Scott about six years ago. And we were talking about, you know, her wish, her her sort of, you know, if you could make anything possible, what would she want? And we sort of touched on the idea of getting every UK child off benefit permanently, not just sort of removing it, having them not need it. 
Now that, in theory, everybody has a podcast, get $1,000 a month. There's ways of generating actual value, but it comes down to, we talked it through more and more, and it actually went after that project. There's like a commitment gap. There's actually a, do actually really want to make a difference? Or do most people, back to the tribe thing, just want to live in their bubble, not be bothered, watch telly and have a cake away and it's all okay. And if they do, is that okay too? So I think there's this really strange time where, you know, we've just been through the queen passing away, the new king being crowned, the coronation. It's it's surreal. And $100 million spent on that, is that a good use of funds? So this whole, back, the reason I'm sort of touching on it isn't to sort of say yes or no, but this optimization thing really depends on which slivers of time we look at, where we put our values. Um, and it it leaves me fascinated, honestly, because my my hope is when I do find people like yourself with good things that you can go, right, let's amplify that out. Mm. But equally, 20 years of actively going after this, one of the projects we worked on, if you said, Simon, you can share this with a billion people tomorrow morning for free, right? Tim Cook can activate on Apple. Everybody's Apple devices get a new app. They get the Ruth app. <laughs> do you really want most of the well-known marketers sharing their latest sales package? And for $9.99, Ruth, you too. It's like, no, yes, maybe. What's actually good? Um <laughs> And then back to your awareness, and that's, I think, going back to what I know when we first spoke, you've got a lot internal experience to know yourself yeah. and be able to make mature conversations. That isn't about age or time, but you have to have almost had bad experiences to be able to navigate wisely or wiser. Yeah. Um, the young child when they're 18, 19, 21, having their first drunken evening on the run of vodka and then going, I don't feel very well. It's like, we could see that one coming. You know, it's like predictable. <laughs> um, the entrepreneur who makes bad investments. I've made amazing investments and bad investments. And yeah. the heartening thing is there are people like you with heart and integrity. I've just met you. I don't think you've got a, a bad thing in the closet going on. You know, if I can tell Ruth's okay. But that's <laughs> I've done plenty thing. of stupid things that I do, do regret. Style, we're all stupid. We all we're not evil, right? We're not evil. There's a line of evil, which is like, stop it, right? So... I touched on that because what saddens me is as an auditor, as a former PricewaterhouseCoopers auditor, I found the global fraud in my early 20s or found the data that unraveled one. The amount of evil nonsense that is being allowed to go on is extraordinary. Yeah. The number of big mega frauds, right? So how does a normal quote unquote on that distribution curve person navigate life when all the success stories are drugs, bad stuff, like saying the things they do, they do stuff that's clearly like, illegal, bad and wrong, and nobody stops them. It's yeah. a very fascinating line in the sand where we want to be free, right? One of my my passions is to be free. I love the option of not having to be at a day job. I don't have to do this, but I'm choosing to, right? Had a little shave, put the outfit on, I'm more smart today for you. But we have a freedom of choice that most don't have, but there's a but to it, right? There's that, but one day I'm going to go into money. But I need to get some more exercise. But, but, but mm -hmm. I need to sort of be polite. I can't. One of the things that fascinated me, I'm, I'm really passionate about female authority entrepreneurs, primarily because my mum is an extraordinary lady. She got polio as a young girl, awesome GP trainer. Mum's awesome. She's strange. She's a northern lady. She's not like a pushover. She's not like sort of hello Disney, but she's a lovely, strong, real woman, which in the UK we've had. For thousands of years, we had Queen Bodicea. We've had these strong Queen Elizabeth, right? We're used to having that. And well, many of our most successful monarchs have been female. 
if you yeah. look back through the history history books. And yet somehow in my 45 years, there was this sort of virus story of women have no brains and power. I'm going, have you met my cousins? Anyway, I digress. But there's something about that shift. And uh, I'm also I'm, I'm going to pause now because it, it's. No, I think it's, it's I think it's an important point is that, you know, in the context of brains, women have very different brains to men. We have more connections, but less brain cells. And actually men have um, bigger amygdalas, which is the fight flight response part of the brain yeah. um, than women do. And one of the theories as to why we have a four times greater rate of suicide in men as, than we do in women is because women take time to think about it. Um, and whereas men have, a, you know, it's be because they have less connections and they have a larger amygdala. Once they made a decision, they go with it. We're, we're very there's less debating and there's less yeah. conversation. And uh, don't mishear this. Men are generally very replaceable, right? It's and that's not, that's not meant in some like sort of oh, where is me? No, there's a reason why generally the male goes in, bashes, and gets taken out, and they weren't designed to live in the way we live. So there's a bit of this this nature nurture culture. Even mm -hmm. by the way, what you just said, what's fascinating is. Even that conversation now, where I come from like a, a scientific mystic approach, right? There's science and there's stuff we don't understand. And I'm okay with that. And I'm exploring it. Not the green fairy says, you know, there's a line of sort of off in yeah. on rabbit holes. But we, we are in a time where actual proper genuine conversation debate is being frowned upon. Having that awareness to go, right, what actually is the science? And despite our abilities in theory to go into data, uh, one thing that's probably a bit unique about me, I mentioned my weird brain, is yes, I've got sort of different professional aspects, but I did mathematics quite deeply for about 10 years. A maths degree in Durham with a big focus on optimization theory, utility theory, uh, multivariate correlations. And this the actual aspect of cause and effect is really hard to model. So most people don't know. Um, I know what amygdala is. I've never gone into a brain and played with one. I don't really know. I'm not a neuroscientist. Yeah. I know mm -hmm. enough to know there's bits of brains and yeah, there's theories and there's reptile brains, malian brains. But if you said go and build one, I can't build one. How does it really no. work? I don't know. And we rely on other people. But you and I can know that without being offended going, but I'm the brain surgeon. I know about all this stuff. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's the the fascinating bit. You know, none of us really know the impact of having a mobile phone with us all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you've done this. When my friend and I, my partner and I take time for ourselves, we'll literally deliberately turn our phone off for a time like two, three, four days, which shouldn't make a difference, but it really does to the power of sleep. You knowing you have that, that concern kicking back in, right? So there are lots of studies around um, phone use and, and the effect on your brain and um, actually Wi-Fi um, that we often have on our phone and 5G can particularly impact your blood-brain barrier. Um, yep. And it's a growing concern for people who have uh, cognitive challenges, particularly um, from from a, um, autoimmune uh, conditions. Yep. Um, because actually the uh, Wi-Fi and the 5G can um, increase the permeability of your blood-brain barrier. So it allows toxins to cross the blood-brain barrier that wouldn't normally do so. Um, and so when you turn your phone off um, and you get away from the uh, the noise, the EMF, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a physicist, yeah. um, 
you actually um, help your brain sleep better because it's able to do the things that it would naturally do without all of the external noise exposure from an EMF electromagnetic frequency perspective. And we can go a bit um, deeper on that, given you've opened the door a bit. So human <laughs> beings, some people say, are electrochemical, gravitational, biomechanical machines. And that's just some of the little aspects that go on. And, you know, I'm sitting here with lights on, electrics on. Um, when were you last in an environment where there was no electrics within 10 miles of you? you it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible, right? Now, I'm not going, you know, like the, that, um, the better call saw, like the lights, the power, ah, headaches. But there are people that have those experiences. But there's definitely, you know, radio waves and things moving through us that impact. Um, yeah. There are people that would say there's a whole lot of psychic energy. That's a bit too woo-woo uh, for me. And at the same time, there is clearly heat. There's infrared heat. Now, mm -hmm. whether you call that chi or ki, whether you call other bits and pieces, the fact we are living in a space that isn't in isn't blank, but we think it is, right? So while I'm moving my hands, there actually is air. You're a physicist. You understand there's there's mm -hmm. molecules and atoms going around. We're in this strange space now of science, of quantum mechanics, mm -hmm. but most people haven't got a grand understanding of those things and therefore can be easily pulled and pushed by others. And I yeah. think that's one of the the challenging things, right? You know, you've said Dr. Ruth Allen, nobody's gone, right, show me your credentials, show me your PhDs, show me your, your BMJ things, right? And that's okay. And I've technically got more than one technical PhD, I think, from these that I had, um, but I don't use them because I got confused by it. And yeah. so we're in a very funny space where actually the opportunity to become a self-optimizer is there. Yeah. However, the only question I would have is, is that something you want to do and start there? Not somebody jump into a one-year juicing program or you know, advanced yoga at four in the morning. I think the challenge is people don't realize how easy it is to go off the tracks. Yeah. And I think I think the also people don't take the time to think what is optimal for them because there's no right or wrong answer for no. optimal brain health because everybody's brain is different and yeah. your brain is shaped by your past experiences, by your epigenetics, your your family history and how that has influenced how your brain works. It's influenced by what you do, your environment, by what you intake, you know, food you intake, the exercise and so on. The five senses that uh, take on your environment, as you mentioned earlier, you know, that opportunity to focus. But we're always surveying subconsciously our environment using yeah. the five senses that we have. It's just whether we choose to laser focus as predators on something and go after it or whether we choose to to, to sort of uh, sit back and step back yeah. uh, and, survey, and survey it overall. and that i think is the optimal space potentially one this idea of mastery whatever mastery may be but this idea of shibumi which is the state of flow that go master has when they're playing go in flow that ugwe mm -hmm. and kung fu panda just that's the move because that's the move but at that point you actually become an environment now western medicine over the last 30 years um, we've had very bits of communication therapy has now become established as workable, right? Whether you go into the hypno world, CBT, EFT, whether it modality you choose to explore, there's sort of Western medicine understands there's not just the body, there is this other aspect to it. Um, because of mum's sort of polio experience, I'm sort of quite familiar and sadly with 
during those times, often children were left in isolation wards, and that has massive impact for you. Don't have any real safe touch. They need nurturing and human touch. Yeah. So there is potentially this bit where you can actually generate yourself independently of the environment. You actually become a way that no matter what's going on, you stay functional. But that still has to have, I think, some way of going, right, I'm going to pause, stop and reset, as I call it, and recharge to reevaluate. Um, that's tricky in a nonstop world. As I sort yeah. of touched on, we spent a lot of time where we were very sadly, there aren't many people that could do what I was doing. A bit like with you, Ruth. The only person that can be you today is you. Your AI yeah. avatar is getting there, but it's not the same as a quality, <laughs> right? Like it's this is a real Simon. This is the real, no, this is the real Simon. And <laughs> there's some time when you need to step up and do that. But that challenge is when can you actually fully recharge, drop up, drop those weights down from the past. Um, and I like the idea of mission control, you know, that, that sort of space canaveral thing. You know, we want to be in that mission control mindset where we know what we're going after, we've got plans, we're not hyperactive. In the army world, special forces are really good at that, right? When you get more and more trained, you're not panicking going, ah! it's like, got it, no problem, that's the job, let's get on with it. But the first time through, it's stressful. Now, yeah. one of the problems I think we have today is discomfort and stress is often is a bad thing. You actually have to sometimes go through a challenging experience to grow and learn. Yeah. But where do you gauge that? And how do you know what your tolerances are? Sadly, on the physical side, I've had some weird injuries over the last few years. I would not have predicted those. I've also known some amazing people, some ex-services that we've worked with, who the things that caused them to break weren't the things they thought would cause them to break. And then because of those environments where they had to have the stiff upper lip, I'm going to call it, they couldn't just say, I need help. And that, I think, is the, tra the trick we're in now, where it's easy to go, I have a problem, I need help. But that can easily then get labeled as that person's that, like that. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's very, it's very, we're getting into almost a, a little bit of a label cult where we are in a labeling yeah. culture, um, like it or not, particularly in the mental health space. Um, and now, uh, sadly, in the neurodiversity space, yeah. is we have we have assigned certain labels to certain types of brains, um, uh, and people firstly don't diagnose correctly. Often, that people are misdiagnosed, <laughs> yeah. and secondly, your brain type is fluid. You can change your brain, um, and so you may have been diagnosed with a particular, let's call it disorder. I hate that terminology. Um, and actually, um, it, you because it's called a disorder, it's kind of seen as a I am less than, which you are, by the way, if you've been labelled with a disorder, yep. you are not. Um, it just means you are the world is not ordered according to your brain type. Um, the world is disordered for you, not the other way around. Um, and that you can leverage uh, how your brain is operating to become your superpower, as as, yep. as many people do. So there's many CEOs who who are dyslexic. There's many CEOs who have ADD. There's many CEOs who who have um, autism and so on. So you know we often get put in this bucket um, yep. and and labelled as well. This person has got that. So. Um, therefore, they they may need they need to be put in the special treatment category, which might be okay for that person, and that's what they want. But you need to understand what that person wants and uh, uh, wants, not just what you think they need, um, and, and help that person navigate 
through life that gets the best out of their brain. So it optimizes their brain and not optimizes your process. Yeah, completely. And I, I think there's, there's sort of two things to touch on. One is we're still very much in a post-industrialized society, right? Most of our education systems were designed to have us work in factories. We were designed yeah. to be somewhat compliant, somewhat conform, somewhat predictable, TikToky, and go do the thing. Um, that world no longer stably works the way that everybody thought it was. You know, most parents don't go, I've got the plan, it's worked for me, it'll work for you. Property prices don't make sense for the salaries. There's a whole game shift that's going on. And I had it about a year and a half ago. Um, somebody put on one of these lovely social media groups, you know, my son's got a degree in design, but he is pick your label, dunk. And the mum had basically already pre-labeling what the son could do. And I had yeah. a conversation. It turned out she knew my mum as a patient. So that went from random conversation to, oh, you did like that, right? Um, personally, he's fine. He's just never been around people with high IQ that know how to do it. And he's a young teenage boy, early 20s boy, right? Male. So guess what? He has laziness issues. He has time issues. And we all have that till we don't. But at mm -hmm. the same time, because he hadn't been in a supportive, upbeat environment, it took a lot of restroking to go, not in a physical way, but positive reinforcement to mm -hmm. go, that's okay. Now, I've been around training trainers for 20 odd years. Most haven't done that. So if I hadn't been me, it'd have been, oh, well, that does that great boom. But actually leadership and retraining so that he is independent and interdependent moving forward takes more time so we're into the conversation most of the great employees and employers in the uk and around the world they haven't really got the time you know we mentioned the nhs a bit their yeah. time per patient isn't five hours per day per client per patient no you've got like a short window and paperwork and no liability, don't sue me and so we're into that world of not being sued not taking risks um the UBI conversation, I'm sure you've come across that a bit, this universal basic income conversation, is really interesting. I was able to take some time um, while the bank world blew up, where I'd saved up money for a long time, and there was some time to go explore for a bit. Now, it wasn't until I'd done that that I realized how special that time was. Does that make sense? Yeah, because you didn't take, do the pause, stop, reset. <laughs> Like yeah. you mentioned, and you gave yourself permission because circumstances change, which COVID was a great opportunity for some yeah. and has been for many. People have paused, stopped and go, do you know I'm not all right with this? I'm going to reset no. and do something different. The other side to it, I've been around this sort of stuff for over 20 years now. And what's really mind boggling for my brain is the decades game. Now, it's easy to say, Jim Rohn talked about it, but I don't really have a clue 10 years what actually the world will be like i have my predictions i think we'll find faster internet and different technologies i know what it could be deployed but will actually be going on i don't know and equally i look at people who 10 years ago you and i would have gone they're an idiot they're stupid it won't really work very well and some end up in 10 downing street not in the government but sort of it's like how do they end up there well, they've kept doing something for 10 years in a way that you go, is that really the game? Should I have been doing that? You know, should you and I have been on TikTok for the last five years wiggling? Like, I, I can dance quite well. Well, it dance depends dance on what your outcome is, doesn't it? What you want. Well, not <laughs> just that, but also the marketplace isn't actually sort of intelligent, right? It, 
everybody says the marketplace values creativity and ideas. It doesn't. The buying market buys in a really bad way. So in a very interesting facet where you might be clear what you want, but don't know how to get it. And that, I think, is the tricky bit. So we all want children by 18, 19 to be mature adults going into that space, self-sufficient, healthy individuals. But what actually should they be learning? Should they be learning mathematics? Should they be learning classics? Should they do whatever they want to do? Yeah. And it's been quite interesting getting to know there's a, a guy called Ernesto Sorelli. Um, he did a TED talk about hippos in Africa, one of the best ever, amazing TED talk. And 10 years after I first saw it, Ruth, I reached out and had a conversation with it. But it took 10 years to realize I could reach out and say, hello. Because it isn't obvious to do that with TED Talks, right? No, you're right. And, you know, one of the things I love about podcasting is it forces you to reach out and have conversations with people um, because otherwise you don't have a podcast. Correct. And the other ones that, again, if relevant to the point at is Sir Ken Robinson's TED Talks. Yeah. Come across those. Now, sadly, he's no longer with us. He's one of those people who I was one degree from for like 20 years People I know know him, worked with him, those ideas. And it's not out there hidden away. It's one of the most popular TED Talks about creativity and education killing it off. And yet a billion plus people don't know his name, don't know the content. How do we apply that? So we are on this classic thing of drowning information and the question of what do you do with it? So that thing of what do you want, I don't even think I know anymore. And I, I want to go back on that, though, because I'd love to know, because you've become a Tai Chi instructor. And I'd love if you could take us a little bit on your journey. Or I was being belt. bullied a lot as a kid. <laughs> that's okay, well, no, that's, well, no, that's the, really the interesting. Was, so, I did it for, for a similar reason with um, Taekwondo, is to, is to protect myself. So let's go a bit further in rabbit hole. So what I've done, Taekwondo, WTF, ITF. I yeah. trained in karate before that and judo. I've trained in Black Eagle Escrima. I've trained in about a thousand other things, <laughs> including conkers and you know school bullying up techniques, as it tacky. And basically, because I was a bit of a strange kid who came top in every subject without really trying very hard. So imagine you've got a kid who is top in most subjects in most school environments. Is that like, well done, Simon, keep going? Or what would I have been called as a 10-year-old boy at a school? SWAT. There you go. Is that it? Does that have you go, I'm a SWAT, excellent. No, that doesn't have you get sort of the good brownie points, right? Um, you're at a boys' school, and it's, it's really it's one of the questions, right? Should schools have physical bullying? And there's a line between ribbing, bullying, growing, right? How do you mature it? Um, I'm not encouraging bullying far from it. I think it's a really tricky space of societal self-correction and how does that manage and which cultures go in. Um, and it's been fascinating watching people who had, let's call it, very... Um, alternative lifestyle experiences mm -hmm. i would say need serious psychological help because the fact that their parents are doing tons of drugs and weird stuff and they had bad experiences they didn't have those boundaries now other people might have gone to the most traditional environments and guess what they end up on heroin too so i don't yeah. think it's as simple as a and b so you know so yeah. part of it was that part of it was you may not know from the zoom camera here i'm not seven foot tall Tony Robbins is much taller than I am, Ruth, okay? So I got very clear um, that there were these things of internal martial arts, internal martial arts. And my little 12-year-old, 10-year-old brain went, it doesn't matter how good I get at this, they're bigger, they're going to win. And for some reason, and here's what's true, 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 I don't know how I first came across Tai Chi or Tai Chi Chuan. Mm. 
Ah. Like, I literally, something will have happened. Like, I didn't wake up going, Ruth, I'm going to go learn Tai Chi today. I've invented it in my head. Somebody will have told me something, shared a book. I'll have done probably at, do you know when there were bookshops you go to in the libraries? There yeah. would have been a book on martial arts, right? Yeah. And uh, in, in the UK, I'm not sure where it is for you listening in or watching around the world, judo was quite popular. I think it's less popular now in schools, but we were lucky and judo was around a bit. So I'd already seen those ideas. And so judo and tai chi had a, a, a sort of interesting phase. Now, I'm a strange monkey. I was my youth. When I get focused, I get laser focused. I call this my psi thinking. This is this powerful, stimulating, intelligent thinking. Um, if you ever watch 24 with Jack Bauer, it's that mission mindset oh, yeah. of get the milk. Ruth wants milk, milk, go. <laughs> right? It's very, <laughs> get after it. Or oh, I could be very lazy and chilled out. My pie thinking, the random, the infinite sort of chaos stuff. So at some point, I was like, I want to, I want to do some Tai Chi. This says Tai Chi is good, right? And I came across a teacher who was okay. And then I came across Catherine. And I actually went to an adult education class of all things. Um, they're not so good anymore in general, is my experience of adult education classes. But back in the day, there were actually good people teaching good classes, and it was a nice way of doing things. And within about half an hour of training with her, it was clear I was a weird kid because most of her people were 30s, 40s, 50s. And there's me, age 14, 15, who's taking this a bit more sort of, and then we're into one to one relation training with her came with Dan Doherty, who sadly also passed away. And Dan Doherty was actually my interpretation of the public data. You know what I mean by this public data and there's other stuff? Yeah. So he was involved with the police and the Hong Kong police force. Oh, right. Okay. He, he was actively using Tai Chi Chuan, which is great ultimate boxing, on the streets of Hong Kong with his day job. He wow. was already a black belt karate master, the karate guy, when he went out to Hong Kong. So you can imagine this is sort of the, the hands-on policing, not encouraging the violence, but it is defending yourself. Yeah. And Dan actually won the Southeast Asian Games. I think what happened is Dan got a reality check of karate's great. What was that? Because Tai Chi done well is really, really good, but it's not a sport. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So fast forward all these things. I end up training with Catherine, enjoying it. And the bit I loved about it, it's one of my sort of confusing bits to people. Tai Chi is moving meditation. It has these mental, physical, and sort of spiritual meditative aspects, or so the sort of martial mm -hmm. stuff, the physical and the mindset. Um, they'd say mind, body, spirit, whatever you label it. So what was interesting was you could do your, your moves and people look at all the sort of the in the park stuff, right? The slow moving hands, mm -hmm. but they don't see the arm break, the punch to the face, the wrap around the neck. That was all done to train in public. So for me, I found my home in Tai Chi. I'd done yoga. I'd done other bits and pieces. Taekwondo, it was all great and kyupping and jumping and the Korean jumping on horses. It's great, but it was hard work. Whereas Tai Chi, and it's actually one of those memories that flashes in. I talked to you about it now. Catherine Allen, I was at Tunbridge School in the gym, already the scholar there. I was in playing rugby. I'd gone from not playing rugby to first team rugby at age 14, you know, tight, tight head prop Ruth. I'm clearly the size today, right? <laughs> Catherine is literally throwing me around the gym nicely and me kind of going, what's happened? It was my Mr. Miyagi moment. Now, <laughs> if I hadn't seen Karate Kid, would I have been so open for it? Yes, no, maybe, right? But I had that bit of, how have you done that? And Catherine extraordinary teacher she'd been an equestrian teacher sadly a horse had actually backed onto her by mistake and crushed her arm oh, so goodness. she'd been advanced yoga advanced health like equestrian 
an amazing and also around mental health wards. So she had a very sharp brain. And what I loved most, a bit like our chat today, we would do this for eight hours. We'd literally spend all day physically doing Tai Chi, uh, doing other martial art related to it. Um, and there's a, a person who, again, probably not very known well, called Pan Ching Fu. Um, mm-hmm. He's a star of a movie called Iron and Silk. Catherine trained with him in Toronto. Wow. And so, we, so there's a whole lineage that goes in. Now, let's go a bit down the rabbit hole. I also had the experience, age about 15, 16, of having somebody teach me Tai Chi in my dreams. Now, whether it was a dream, whether it was an actual person with a beard to copy me, Simon, and I'd also been around some of Paul McKenna's work at this point as well. So there's a whole line of dream reality, future pacing that goes on, but I very much remember those experiences. Now, then we get into that passivity space. The learning curve for Tai Chi for me was quick but slow. So you start, you learn two moves. Raise your hands up. One move, hands down. Great. Repeat that. That's a lesson. Not very much. Three months later, you might have 20 moves, 50 moves. And then it's making it so so actually it's a challenge. It wasn't an easy thing to learn, but there was a gradation in the ability to play. And Mm -hmm. that playing bit for me was really fun. It's one I actually missed, by the way, because... When I was practicing with or training with Catherine, we had other people who, Matt and, and others, who were very strong physically people. Matt was a postman, by the way, by choice. Um, he'd literally be a postman. So I gave him free exercising all year round. Great. <laughs> uh, and then Richard was a dustman, had really strong hands from lifting up the dustman bags, the, the big yeah. ones. So these older people I was training with, and it gave this sort of like positive reinforcement. Now, yeah. I like, let's be blunt, I like winning. It was good being good. Um, I, I trained in fencing as well at a national level or with people like Peter Freeth in fencing in, say, in Fall and Sabre. So had I never got to win a few games, I probably wouldn't have carried on. But because I was able to be quite good, then I kept going. And then you hit the bit where the people you're training with are also like British Commonwealth Olympic athletes. I wasn't beating them so much. It's not so much fun then, Ruth, is it? It's like... <laughs> So there's a sort of stubbornness curve, right? Now, what was interesting, and it's part of, I think, where you and I are talking without sort of how big our Ferrari is. You know, there's no sort of ego about size of database and list. Growing up to probably 16, that was the case, 15, 16. 16 onwards, and I did go, my naughtiness was running, working bars when I was 17, 18, different experiences. Why was I doing that? To build community and tribe, learning things in the real world. But as he sort of hit that puberty stage of 1618 and the university stage and the London stage, there becomes this who are you aspect. So if you and I are in a bar and somebody walks in, nobody goes, do you know martial arts? What's the response? Yes, no, maybe. Why are you asking? Oh, God. And not <laughs> that you're going to go beat Conor McGregor at the UFC tomorrow morning, right? Um, so I've, I've gone off, off piece a bit with it. The thing that I found really interesting was Tai Chi Chuan. I like the yeah. fact said in full. Most people that teach it don't know what they're teaching. And that is meant disparagingly. They haven't done 20 odd years properly learning the martial art. Mm-hmm. They've learned X. Um, and that's really fascinating with this whole world where when I started, there was no CPD grades and credits. There was no rep level three. There was just there a teacher. Um, one of the things, my, if I look back on my, my life, I'm grateful for those people who were amazing teachers. And I had have had amazing teaching experiences uh mr burden was an amazing math math teacher you can sort of hopefully get there's love for this man and he wasn't the good teacher who was hello boys no he had a cigarette and he basically go come on do your sums 
Because if you couldn't do 20, 20, 20 times 20, 25, 25, 65, but he was pushing you, but not nastily. Yeah, yeah. And he had the capacity to upgrade it and downgrade it. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, how people can really reflect back on their great teachers uh, and, and they recite them with awe and, you know, you're, you kind of face lit up when you re recalled it yeah. and people don't tend to want to recall the, the teachers that haven't been helpful. And that's what I see is mostly missing. On our lives. And I, I can say it now, having been out of the space, PwC, Morgan Stanley, RBS, Abraham, AMRO, MOD, NHS, that middle management, senior management space that should be the steward, the treat, the mentors. Um, yeah. I had a great chat with an amazing woman yesterday, last week about HR. Like HR doesn't actually work for the employees. They have this conflict of interest, right? Well, I, I, I call them hire and reject. <laughs> No comment. Delete. <laughs> right, but it's because that's what they're ultimately employed to do by by the senior management of the business. You're supposed to hire great people um, and reject the ones that are not the right fit. Uh, well, and, and often it's way. actually in the banking space. It's avoid problems. It's keep yeah. things ticking along, and that's <laughs> where we have this problem. I think of, and it's a really fascinating bit. Was I happier when I had nothing? And my first job was 18 grand a year in London because I wasn't worrying about keeping stuff alive and afloat. You know, uh, I'm sure you've taken more than one photo on your phone, right? <laughs> you know, the, these podcast recordings, do you archive them like their goal for the next hundred years and put a legacy plan in place or just put them out? And if they go, it's it's a really fascinating space, right? I've got terabytes of hard drives back over there that no one's going to go through. If I get hit by a bus, the dream was, and one day they'll go through my archive. They're not going to go through the archive. They're too busy. Even mm. call recordings. So there's this really fascinating dance between how do we learn? Who do we safely trust to learn? One of my biggest regrets, some people I actually in my early 30s went to thinking they were more ahead, that they were the safe steward, the mentor, paid them a lot of money, energy and time with them. It wasn't till later you realize they weren't the ones to model. And yeah. it's probably worth touching on modeling. You know, NLP for me was how do you model excellence? Same with mathematics. It was how do you, in the physics, like how do you un understand this so that it can be recreated and optimized? So let me just pause for people that don't know what NLP is, neuro-linguistic programming. Yes, amongst other things, yes. But yes, <laughs> NLP in that context is neuro-linguistic programming, uh, Richard Bandler and Grindler, and a whole body of work that is often, I think, got misunderstood, even by people that say they're NLP practitioners. It's quite fascinating. Or misapplied. <clears throat> misapplied, misused. Um, and yeah. But the idea of if one person can do something, how could we share that skill with somebody else? How could we transfer that skill? And if you think about you know, your work and this both of brain health, there are people that have been through really traumatic brain injuries and spinal injuries that get their bodies back. Um, mm. I'm going to sort of out my mother. I love her dearly. Had I realized that she'd had a bit of leg movement, mm -hmm. I might have done very different things, but I didn't realize that she had any leg movement. Oh. So knowing what I know now, we'd have been putting her through stuff for 40 years, but I didn't know that. 
And nobody really knew what you can get into with the Inca Chicana work and the acupuncture world. And there's a whole body of science research, some of which is mumbo jumbo. Some doesn't seem to be, but is really placebo. The whole aspect of mind over body and vice versa. You know, it's it's fascinating. Well, there's um, another whole world that we haven't really, which is a whole t other topic of conversation. And I know we talked about it briefly as yeah. connection, but... We often talk about connection externally, but we don't tend to spend too much time thinking about connection internally and the importance of, of how we do that effectively and efficiently yeah. and the power that we have within our body to enhance our internal communication channels. I think there's more to be said there, but yes, it's the thing. And I, I don't have the answers. And I honestly, it's been, I've, I've watched me be very effective and then taken out unexpectedly and i've also seen me seemingly be ineffective not trying hard and don't do very well things uh, one of my friends one of my old clients lila one of the things that she found most profound i had a how she described it fully communicative with somebody who was basically deaf and dumb but for me had a clean conversation with them it was like this is easy and she's yeah. like how did you do that it's like what are you talking about it's normal so yeah. partly what I, I touched on it earlier the sort of southern simon my northern me british don't talk in words it's the spaces we have this, all this context of conversation i can go he's a friend of yours is he <laughs> yeah. and that means completely different things and he's a friend of yours is he <laughs> it's, yeah it's, it's it's fascinating yeah um and it gets and lost. i think what's also fascinating on the conversation side is you can have a conversation via pictures as well you know i remember going to japan and i couldn't speak a word of japanese and i was staying in a in a, a monastery and there were two Jap there's a Japanese couple next door to me in the ne next door room and we managed to communicate everything about family and what we were doing and where we were going through drawing pictures uh, because we couldn't read each other's writing either <laughs> and we certainly couldn't talk in the same language so we did it through uh, you know Ab Aboriginal <laughs> techniques of of, of you know but you had the intent story. to communicate right and yeah um and whether it's true or not uh, an amazing french man told me years ago that communication is about coming together into one action communication yeah. there's something about that um there's also paradoxically this is where people i i don't mean to confuse people but sometimes they get confused i'm trying to have it be a space rather than a this idea of being a um, the space rather than the content, right? It's sort of context, not content. Um, one of the biggest fallacies of communication is there has ever actually been some. Now, clearly, there's workable comms. You thought you were doing what you're doing. I've turned up. We seem to be on the same same page today, right? And equally, sometimes married couples or great friends 20 years, it's like, wait, how did we get so wrong? You know, it happens. But if you are having that underneath, we're on the same team, you can go, right, pause, stop, reset. Let's go back, back again. Okay. I, yeah. We touched on it a bit sort of jokingly. I think the nervousness now is that it isn't always, it's, it's cliche language, a safe space to communicate. So much is either markety filtered or concern filtered what we actually say thing can do. Yeah. Um, and I'll be transparent. I left London. One of the reasons was I watched London become more and more aggressive over the last right. five, 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, so... I grew up in the world where if a young group was being a problem or disruptive, somebody would say, look, can you calm your necks down? Like, just be calm. They wouldn't attack them. They wouldn't throw things at them. They would just be this neat, like, like five-year-old kids, right, calm down. Let's not break everything in the house. Nowadays, more and more, the advice is don't say anything. 
Now I have put myself at risk in the past to stop other people being hurt. I don't recommend it. Not a Batman thing, but my primal thing, like it wasn't okay for that to be going on. And I lived yeah. in Rotherhithe, Surrey Keys, Bermondsey. And I watched that area shift. I watched, you know, five people trying to pick on somebody. And it's like, whatever's happened, just that nobody wants to get involved. And yeah. I think that's where if if the game is purely to survive, and at some level it still is, you know, you and I, if we said one of our games, we'd like to be on planet Earth in 10 years, still physically healthy. If I just stay here and order food in, I'll be generally okay. But that's very isolationy thinking, right? We need that human contact. Yeah. At the same time, we don't want to be going into crazy war zones, crazy environment spaces. One of my dear banking friends, it's quite fascinating. People that worked with me in banking, we've all got other things. Vicky runs around London as a photojournalist. So when there's a big problem, she runs towards it. She's very tiny. Actually, I do as well, but I mean, I'm military. It's a reserve. No, I, I've, so. I've touched on a bit of that, right? So I've trained <laughs> interesting people, but like she, she's in that space. But even in the health service, this is where we then have this thing of being sued. So if somebody's had an injury, yeah, being liable for doing the right or wrong thing in that moment, it's a very tricky line. Um, and I have a, a big debate with one of my dear, dear friends, one of my strategic alchemy lab partners that we call it. It's a very fancy name for people where we can have really exploratory conversations and do things. Nothing dodgy, nothing strange, but in a space where like, we're trying to become more creative and more ethical and more effective, you know. So one of the things is just don't say anything. Because of her background, it would be wise not to speak up. What I've been through would say, look, if you don't say something, you're not being integrous. And yeah. there's a fine line about who's game and what's being said. Not to pick a fight, not to do anything wrong. Um, you and I know in the UK, the police force, clearly in the current time, it's not all easy. The military stuff is not all easy conversation to have it actually work the way we want, which is everybody wants a peaceful world. Fundamentally, I don't think anybody wakes up, goes, let's have a big fight today. And the military's job is to be very professional. I'm very proud of the military friends I know that are extreme professional. I also think most people that don't understand military don't get what the military's job is in the mm. same way. Those that don't live in the health service don't know what their job is. So there's a bit of a strange challenge of not going, oh, yes, they're a doctor. Oh, yes, they're a so-and-so. But actually, how does it work through? And then we touch on one bit to this optimal brain health aspect, which is how do you navigate secrets? How do you navigate data? I think generally our bodies and our brains work better when we're stress-free, when the environment is conducive to life. Um, mm. My American friends out in Phoenix, I love you dearly, they worked out that they would live happier and longer, happier, healthy lives if their environment was stimulating and positive for themselves. So they are now in their 70s, 80s, 90s, sharper, more awake than most of our friends in the UK in their 40s and 50s, yeah. because they, they've made millions, but secondarily, they've, they've created a world for themselves that works for them. So and I think watch. that's really important, you know, going back to optimal brain health, is you have to create a world that works to optimise your brain. And it might not be the world you're currently in. And you, you have the opportunity to create it for yourself. And you can either choose to create it internally. Yeah. And I know we touched on the gaming yeah. and stuff and people, you use that because they have a secondary world yeah. inside their minds. Or we create it externally through the environment we choose to, to have around us. We either change the environment or change the environment you're in. Yeah, that's the Bernard Shaw quote that I love about the unreasonable man or even person. The, the environment ones are really fascinating. So I find myself back down in Kent 
But if you'd asked me five years ago, I was going to be in Dubai, in Hawaii, in Tahiti, I was gone. But then yeah. we get into the question of, let's say, family and friends knitting me back where I am. So there is this question of the planet is a very big planet and most of us are where we are, not really quite sure why we're there. Yeah. What would you, um, I know this show is all about brain health and unchaining your pain. What would you say, Simon, to anybody who's really struggling to do the pause, stop, reset? You know, they're in a stage of their life where they're, you know, don't have that clarity that they feel they really need. They feel it's a bit chaotic. What would, you, yeah. what would your um, advice be to people who are in that kind of space? That, that My first advice is it's okay. <laughs> you know, you are okay. And you won't believe me that you're okay, but it is okay. And most people out there are the same. And even the people you think aren't like that are, are like that. Um, I, try, I can't say it the way my, one of my mentors taught me. is like, even the queen has this problem. You know, even the queen or king goes to the toilet. There is a bit where we think it's all better and different, it really isn't. It's a very strange bit to it. I, I do think there's a patience bit and there's learning how to be patient with yourself in the process. And there's def- that sort of sighing thing, by the way. <sighs> Often when you don't think you can pause is when you most need to pause. And oh, a pause is that. just a simple breath count. Mm-hmm. And the simplest breath awareness thing I know of is just noticing when you're breathing in and noticing when you're breathing out and not trying to change it. You just go, I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think that's a great piece of advice. And just to contextualise it from a brain health perspective yeah. is our prefrontal cortex, which is the logical thinking part of our brain, works a lot slower than our amygdala, which is the oldest part of our brain, our fight, flight, reptilian brain. So by doing that breath work that you've just described and taking 10, often we say take 10, yeah. is allowing your mind to slow down enough so that you can engage the logic side of your brain and allow you to think things more clearly. So you're not in this emotional state, but you've given yourself that permission to pause. Yeah. And I'm I'm very much not an Eastern yogi that goes, there is no good and bad and right and wrong. No, there's some really bad beep beep stuff out there that is not okay and is wrong. I say that my point of view can be right or wrong. My grandmother's or sort of our Beresford motto is nil desperandum. Um, it translates as don't let the buzz get you down, right? Don't yeah. let the buggers get you down. And the problem is it's easy to. So you're going to have moments when it's like everything is all right. You're going to have moments when it's amazing. It's great. You're going to have moments of going, I give up. It's horrible. And everything in between. But knowing you're on that roller coaster. So if it is feeling bad, you are not alone even when you think you are alone. And the hardest bit can be just to take eight, 10, to know it's going to be a journey, to reach out for help and trusting. One of the things, I think maybe you have a sort of more sciencey aspect to it. Those people who've had their core trust broken, yeah. it can, we, we call it, and I'm, I'm trying to keep it clean, a, a something, something boys club. You know, if you've been through a bad divorce, you've been through things, you often go, I don't know which way's up, which way's north, right? Yeah. Um, in those periods, it's easy to, to to leapfrog from it's not that, so it's this, and to grab onto something thinking that's the answer versus you yourself becoming more grown through it. Yeah, that ability yeah. to go reach out for help, but not latching onto the teacher or the guru or the cult or the program because you know Ruth is Ruth. 
you've got lots of experiences that make you who you are and that's taken time right we allow ourselves yeah. time often when people are in that state where it is like i don't want to do that they're, they're in a hyper reactive state not realizing they are yeah and it can be really empowering and it can be really insane making you know four in the morning you wake up going why am i awake now well maybe you just woke up and yeah. th- depending on which paradigm you go to the psychotherapist will say this psychologist will say it's this stuff boom but it's all of that and none of that but what is actually so is what's so and you, yeah. you touched on i've got i've got another book coming out hopefully if i ever finish writing it chaos to clarity the big thing that i've got really clear is we do live in a chaotic universe we pretend isn't chaotic right so we like to pretend everything's under control there's nothing going wrong but actually it's always chaos yeah but we have a possibility of being aware of that and navigating moment by moment by moment and yeah. weirdly I think people a thousand years ago got this better. Um, have you ever come across the Skelly Isles off the south coast of Ireland? No, I haven't actually. actually I've heard the, of it, but I've, I, don't, I don't know it per se. It's an amazing place. If you get a chance, you go down to the south coast of Ireland, um, beautiful country, and you take a little boat out. And in the middle of the ocean, not middle, but like out in the ocean, up these craggy mountains, monks built a monastery way back when the kind of bunk the kind of places where like you take the sbs are sort of advanced special forces people yeah. they struggle to get up there no offense to them go build a monastery are you kidding me no they they did it by choice and they weren't living the life people thought because they understood physical stuff the mental stuff the games they were playing and i don't think we realize that capacity my, my granddad um granddad hunt he would cycle from Newcastle to Durham to go for a swim. He was a canny guy. He was amazing in human being from my perspective. Wasn't well known, da, 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 da. but he had a heart surgery on local, on local, right? He was this strong Northern man. And I do think we are confused about what strength is, what success is, what yeah. surviving is. You know, we're in a world where people go, right, I need to go on Tinder and meet a thousand matches tomorrow morning. Really? Okay. And I do think it's a fascinating time. So what we've touched on, if if you are listening, going, either you or somebody else is struggling, there is help out there. And mm-hmm. I think it's probably a good place to, to pause, maybe. Um, one of my old clients, Marissa, talks about I am enough. And I was clear when she when I met her even before, it's not that I'm enough, it's that we're enough. We are actually more than enough collectively when we really collaborate. Mm. And not one of us, there is no such thing as a self-made man. I get told off for this these days, but there isn't. I come from mum and grandma and other people. You know, I didn't make myself. There were lots of teachers and people and friends and the bullies and the crazy things that got me shaped into who I am. And well, you've, now got a trillion, you've got over a trillion, uh, 320 trillion bacteria that make you up and give you, you know, support your emotions and so on. So we're definitely not one made by one. <laughs> but it's a common fallacy, right? It's they got to hustle and do it yourself. And this fascinating dance space, what's a real joy to share it today I, and I, I mentioned it on LinkedIn, I only get to speak and share if there's a space to do that, right? So if you'd said, talk to me about advanced structuring and banking, I talked about that. So I'm like a little library of information <laughs> that gets to show up for people. And the hope is as more and more people become above the line, right? They can have some level of EQ and self-regulation, some level of honesty about what games they want to play. Like I would love to create billions of pounds in cash next five years so I can help the charity projects. We can do Lynx Golf Cafe. We can do more books yeah. and sharing, but it's okay if it doesn't happen. And maybe that's also part of the game, right? What is it And in the book about what really matters 
It's what is that thing that you would actually live for? What is that passionate purpose? And I think that's one of the gaps we're in, right? Yeah. You know, no, most of us aren't worrying about where can I go to the toilet? Where can I get some clean water? That isn't most people's concern, but it was a couple hundred years ago. It sounds silly to think that far back. So we're in this strange world of actually most things in England are quite okay. When you go around the world, it isn't that case. There's a billion yeah. plus people under a dollar a day on income with really challenging experiences. And I'm very grateful I got to travel a bit in different format, different ways. It wasn't what I thought. And I'm also clear, as much as I want to think big global, I have no idea what's really going on in most countries, let alone their communication, let alone their culture, let alone their actual challenges. But if I know that, that's the starting point. Yeah. And, and I gets- think the key thing coming back to, you know, people helping them, you know, helping people get out of the... Yeah a quagmire that being is it's just okay it's okay to be human and just be human you know we we feel that we need to be something different but being human is going through this roller coaster that you mentioned and not being dismissing the power that we have within it inside ourselves and and tapping into our emotional, our physical, our mental and our spiritual state and trying to find the path that is going to work best for us and knowing that it's not a straight line. Well, 100%. I've got a success spiral. No, it's never a straight line. And often you think it is, it isn't. And, and that's <laughs> the, wrap up probably, but that's where the Asian have the Asian world has the word of the Tao, the Tao, right? The, yeah. You can describe it, you're not describing it. And it isn't, yeah. it's a different flavor. Um Sorry, I, I jumped in again. Over no, no, it's absolutely fine. No, I think it's so important that we tap into not only what we have, you know, in the present, but also tap into our past history, yeah. our past knowledge, and use all that we have available to find what's right for us personally yeah. and not be pushed into an avenue that may be not right for you. Si- Simon, it's been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Um, <laughs> I've really, really enjoyed this one. How can people get hold of you and learn more about what you do and find out more about I'm on LinkedIn. If I'm one of those people, if you look for me, I'm everywhere. It's sort of (laughs) I go. So the best way actually is just reach out. I'm on LinkedIn. Um strategic alchemist cybernheadley.com. Um, but yeah, honestly, I'm sure there'll be links on the podcast. So if you want to get hold of me, you need to get hold of. Yeah, so make sure and we'll put the links into all the people that you mentioned on the show as well, so that people can go go and look those people up too. Um, Simon, it's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your journey uh, and your Thank wisdom. You for the space. <laughs> it's been so exciting. Remember, everyone, this show is all about brain health, unchaining your pain. You're not stuck with the brain you have. You have the power to make it better. And Simon has been kindly here to show a story to show you how. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to like and share this episode and leave a review on my website or on Apple Podcasts. If you're looking for opportunities to optimise your brain health or unchain your pain from a past trauma, make sure you visit my website www.ruthmaryallen.com and use the code PODCAST10 at checkout to get 10% off all programs. And always remember, you are not stuck with the brain you have. You have the power to make it better. You have the power to unchain your pain and optimise your brain power and performance so that you can win back energy and time doing what you love. Mm